Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast, the weekly Arsenal Analytics Podcast. I am Scott Willis, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Adam Bogey. Adam, how you doing? Hey, Scott. I'm good. I'm ready for uh, for some real-life club football to finally happen again for what feels like the first time in forever. <laughs> I know. It sucks that we have another one of these like coming in four weeks. It's good. We're just going to squeeze in, and we're going to be back to another two weeks of nothing. Yes, especially especially when like even honestly when we were in the Europa League last season, I even missed those midweek games, even as catastrophic as they proved to be to our. <laughs> I just you know I love I love watching club. I think I just really prefer club football to international. I said that last week, but um, especially when it, when Arsenal have some games, just you know I miss it. So I'm happy that absolutely get back this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's a that's a controversial statement by any stretch of the imagination. Probably not. I, I mean, I think everybody loves the big tournaments and those kinds of things because, you know, it's a, a fun way to do it. Um, gets you a little different, but it's just like the I think the quality of the games is just so different. Mm-hmm. The amount of time that, you know, the international players and coaches can get together and form any sort of connections just really hampers, I think, things, especially in the modern game. Yeah, it's like like no, no hate uh, intended uh, at some of these other leagues, but it, it kind of feels like you're watching like Syria type of football where it's slower, less intense a lot of the time. So when you get like the really big games, I feel like it kind of kicks up, but like, I, I'll always, I'll always remember Euro 2021 Granite Jacka, just like being one of the best players at that tournament. And this was before, he had like really redeemed himself in Arsenal fans' eyes, but his ability to just like ping passes is kind of like a like a deeper playmaker. Um, just suits that style so so well, um, which is why you know in Italy you don't see a lot of like super athletic number sixes. You see a lot of those guys like deep deep lying playmakers. So I just feel like it's yeah I don't know. I just have I have so much fun with the Premier League, even the even kind of like the scrub teams playing each other just mm-hmm. tends to be action-packed and exciting and obviously implications for your, for your own club always helps. So love it. Exactly. So I think that gives us a, a good segue into the the main topic that I think everybody uh, is worried about. So there was a, a report that, that came out uh, about Bukayo Saka and him nursing slash carrying an Achilles injury. It seems like so Mikel was asked about it today in his press conference and his report is uh, he's fine. He trained normally today, so nothing to report there. Every player has pains and issues. That's normal in elite sports, but nothing to worry about. I think that kind of uh, assuages my fears. I think that this is pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I said I had anything more than like, oh, crap, this is going to be like what everybody wants to talk about type of reaction (laughs) when I read that article. I mean, even, even the language in the article is like, is a little ambiguous. Like, uh, it is believed, I think is thrown in, thrown in after he has an an Achilles injury. Yeah. All the hedges, right. Thrown in there. Yes. Yes. So, um, I don't know. I just, I guess I look at like the, the real, not to overuse the word data, but the real data here, which was that he had just played a full game, was Mm -hmm. on the bench for the second game and came in and, and just kind of felt like, eh, you know, it's probably just you know, kind of the little bumps and bruises you get throughout the course of the season. Um, because if, if it were, as we've seen with Emile Smith Rowe, Thomas Partey, 
numerous others, if it's something that's going to like actually hamper the performance, are smart. They're not going to like risk. Uh, Saliba would be another great example. They're not going to risk long term damage, especially to like the face of the club, by yeah. putting him out there on an injury that he could exacerbate like really dramatically. So. Yeah, it just felt like it felt like uh, maybe Arsenal fans drive a lot of clicks. Yeah, well, and you know, and uh, we just saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers too. So, like to me, like that also uh, made me uh, become even more nervous. Right? We just saw um, if if you're not familiar with American football, but uh, so on the the Monday night game, yeah. Aaron Rodgers of the 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 New York Jets uh, played or was it his fifth snap and uh, and then he is his Achilles went snap. Yes, um, on that play, and it was pretty gross and disgusting um, to see that replayed over and over again. So yeah, that in combination with a sack, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're not an NFL fan, uh, it would be like if if Declan Rice got an, an Achilles rupture ten minutes into this season, and he was like largely the the reason for hope among that fan base. Obviously, like one of the best players historically in his position. So. Yeah, it's like timber, but even worse, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're. I think speaking of timber, I think we're all we're all very sensitive right now. You know, we we already we already had kind of a a razor thin margin for error if we want to achieve really lofty goals this season, and we were looking at a, a situation where we had somebody who was really going to help, and and that person went down very quickly. And now we're afraid it's going to keep happening. Um, you know, we had kind of compound injuries last season too. So I don't know. I think, I think this is just, it's a sore subject, no pun intended for mm-hmm. Arsenal fans. We've had a, a rough history uh, with injuries, derailing title charges and, you know, shortening careers and changing players for the worse. Um, you know, but I think, I think, you know, I wrote um, in, in my kind of like free column for the week that, to me, it feels kind of like uh, worrying about Saka specifically, but it applies to everybody. It, it feels a little bit like having a, an older person you love in your life and, and worrying about them dying. Like at some mm-hmm. point, your fears are probably going to be realized, right? But that's not necessarily because you're not doing anything to prevent it or forestall that future from happening. It's just it's kind of a cost of doing business for that type of person. Exactly. And it's a cost like show me professional athletes who haven't had big injuries over the course of their career. It's a very small minority, I promise you. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, it becomes a certainty the longer you play that eventually it's going to catch up with you and happen. Like, you know, it may not be a, you know, something that takes you out for a year or something like that, but mm-hmm. certainly some, you know, six to eight weeks, you know, uh, you know, it's, to me, like that's where you start to get in, like that's a major injury yeah. where you're gone for more than a couple months. Yeah, and I would yeah, say, like yeah, the, yeah. Eight, eight weeks is a pretty solid one. Like, I don't know that I would characterize what we're seeing with party right now as a major injury, but Timber obviously is Kevin De Bruyne right now is kind of like on the fence for me, if that's a major injury, because he'll be back what around like American Thanksgiving, November. So Canadian subscribers, please note that I said American Thanksgiving, you know, out of respect for your October Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it's different harvest time in Canada. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're practically in Canada where you are. I am. I am. I'm, I'm like probably a solid five hour drive from Canada. So I'd get you're my passport more north than half the population of uh, Canada. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Yeah. I just uh, it's it's something we're going to worry about forever and ever and ever. And, and I guess, um, you know, the kind of a, the underlying point that I was trying to make when I wrote that whole piece was that 
um, you know, it's very normal. It makes perfect sense to worry that Bukayo Saka or William Saliba or Martin Odegaard or one of the best players on the team is going to pick up an injury and miss a lot of time and Mm -hmm. Arsenal won't be as good as a result. Uh, But that is also just kind of the way the world works. You know, Liverpool was was one of my counterexamples. They had really good injury luck for that stretch of of two years where they won the Premier League and the Champions League. And and mysteriously, they dropped 30 points, season number three of that sample. What happened? Somebody tore their ACL. Like, yes, you're going to be a lot worse when Virgil van Dijk goes down. Uh, it's not their fault that they didn't have, you know, some amazing backup. And I actually think that they actually had pretty decent defensive depth that season. Like, you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't like, you wouldn't go like, oh, Joe Gomez and Joel Maddup. Like, those are not good backup center backs at that point in time. So... You know, yeah. That's so why I think the other thing that was interesting um, from your post is is what Saka is doing out of the ordinary mm-hmm. for you know other players that I think that we would kind of uh, put in the same caliber of like the team like absolutely depends on them to be kind of like the the talisman figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've that's so when when we have these discussions specifically about Arsenal players, and I do this with transfers too just you really need to like weigh it against what else is like what is happening in parallel situations uh whether that's similar size clubs similar uh financially capable clubs selling similar stage of life players or in this case what are similar size like big clubs who are in Europe specifically the Champions League, like what kind of minutes loads are they putting on their players? And when you put Saka up against some of the other guys we're supposed to be like superstars it's just not, it's not exceptional, I would say. Mm-hmm. I know it feels like he's always playing, but, you know, I imagine the past couple of seasons, Real Madrid fans must feel the same about Vinicius, who's only a, about yeah. 10 months older than Saka. Last season, he played 800 more minutes than Saka. The season before, he played 900 more minutes than Saka. So that's 10 games. That's mm-hmm. a lot more football. And I know that they went deep in the Champions League, but I mean, had he had they and um, I think Arsenal would hope that we do that again this year, would. right? So I think yeah. the expectation is that we will put those extra games onto him. And if they if they only lasted like a couple rounds less, I mean, you're talking about taking two games, three games, four games off of his plate. That's still not reducing the deficit here. Mm-hmm. You know, Manchester City, uh, as I call them in the in the column, I call them the patron saints of rotation and many fans <laughs> eyes, you know, yes. they, they threw Rodri out there for nearly forty five hundred minutes last season. And this is after spending, what was it, 50 million plus on his backup? <laughs> so yeah. I know that that's been a flop, but I don't think that they would have willingly rotated him out anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you might have seen a, a bit more, you know, maybe at the end of game type of things. Like, I, yeah, Calvin Phillips was like really like the only significant injury that I think that I really recall uh, for Manchester City last year where he spent some of that time on the bench. I think that's something that is a little bit surprising too is just how ink the luck Manchester City had with their injuries because people you know like to say that they rotate a lot but I think people kind of overestimate the actual size of the squad that they have Um, I think this is something that Tim Stillman said on the you know the Arsenal Vision podcast the other day was that they have a very similar size squad but in a lot of the key positions the the difference between you know the starter and the guy who's coming in is small so it doesn't feel like there's a lot of you know when they rotate it doesn't feel like somebody's being dropped or something like that yeah do you think arsenal are getting to that point with some of the players because there's obviously there's certain players that we have that are irreplaceable yes but i feel like we're, we're building towards something like that 
Yeah, and I do think that City have some players who are irreplaceable, more or less. Um, yep. You know, we saw them last season, in, in my opinion, personally. I think that they played worse without Kevin De Bruyne. Um, there were games where he didn't start. He was rotated out. And in the first half, they would be just kind of dead in terms of attack. Um, they would put up mm-hmm. nothing. And then they'd bring De Bruyne on for the second half, and that's when they would win the game. You know, obviously, Erling Holland. Everybody loves Julian Alvarez. He's you know nominated for all these awards, Ballon d'Or, and everything like that. But I, I think if you swapped him in for Holland for an entire season, the quality at, at number nine would go way down. Uh, mm-hmm. De Bruyne. That's an Rodri. interesting question because I mean I think that Alvarez kind of reminds me a bit of Jesus in that he's more of a a complete all around player mm-hmm. versus Holland. So I think that they, they could probably adjust the way they played some, but they cannot play the exact same way that they're playing with Holland, no. who is a, you know, a, a guy that they, he's a very low touch, huge impact player yep. where Alvarez is a lot more of a player that uh, touches the ball more, um, but is going to have more of a rounded impact in the game. Yeah. And I mean, it's that kind of uh, is a good segue into the point I was going to kind of eventually transition to, which is that I think Arsenal have reached cities, at least their ballpark, probably not quite there yet in terms of like one thing I think city has done really well. And I've spoken to this like over the past year is, they are not kind of like what the fan typical fan might imagine in terms of having depth at every position. Cause I think mm-hmm. you think there, you think starter is a backup is B. Then you go to this other position starter is C backup is D. But what they have is they have guys like Bernardo Silva, who is going to start on the right wing. Some games he's going to start as more of an attacking midfielder. Some games, as we all know, he's going to start at left back in weird situations. <laughs> They've got guys like Ake and, Akan- and Akanji on the back line where they are going to move around. They've got guys like John Stones who can be considered a, a center back, a DM. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, who knows what his position technically is. And now that he's out with an injury, you know, the backup striker is the guy who takes his spot in the, the side and they yep. go to like more of a 4-2-3-1. So it's, I think Arsenal are getting into that territory where, you know, say like Bukayo Saka did go down with an injury just for a game or two or however long, you might see some less of more of a one-for-one and more of like a shift in the tactics um, where you might put Jesus wide, you might put Kai Havertz out there, you might put Vieira out there and and like the rotations and the kind of the relationships will change. So uh, we've definitely seen that across the back so far this season and you know, I would expect probably a lot more to come too. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes into what I wrote about today, where I think we're going to learn a lot about the plan for Arsenal in the coming, you know, what is it like four weeks? Yeah. Uh, or it's 22 days between before the next international break, um, where we have seven matches inside of that period. And I think this is a, this isn't going to necessarily make or break the season but i think this uh well like could potentially derail some of the goals of the season if things go absolutely bad but i think this is going to tell us a lot about how we're going to um, address being able to have the champions league uh, and I, i'm really interested to see how much mikel arteta rotates so i know we talked a little bit about this last week but are you thinking that we're going to see a fair amount of rotation between the premier league and the champions league especially the group stages here i think with Arteta, I kind of want to see the first game before I make a, a really strong statement on that. That's true. You know, you never he know hasn't it. he hasn't always been super uh, rotation heavy, uh, particularly like I think most people expect a solid amount of rotation when the games are four days apart, three days apart. But sometimes he throws out like a pretty similar eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we definitely there were definitely times in the group stage last season where City would play a relatively easy Champions League game followed by the Premier League game within those three or four days, and and the lineups would be almost identical. So I wouldn't be t- completely stunned to see like a total of three or four changes from Everton to PSV to Tottenham. I think Tottenham will obviously have the best 11 out there. And I, I do expect that for Everton too. So I don't exactly expect like, you know, Enkedia and Reese Nelson and Smith Rowe starting against PSV and Arsenal's first Champions League game in six years, seven years. So yeah. I I would expect, you know, maybe you see kind of a couple of those little tweaks like Atomiyasu getting a start for Zinchenko. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a chance for Vieira to start over Havertz or something like that. Uh, maybe maybe a midfield kind of tweak, Jorginho gets a chance to play, something like that. But um, I think we might see a little bit more rotation as as the season goes on more and there's a little bit more wear down for the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think my baseline expectation is somewhere in like the two to three range for the outfield players. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe for some of the tougher games, you might see one or two for maybe, you know, an easier game, maybe three. It's hard to really imagine beyond three Mm -hmm. changes because I think we still want to use this as an opportunity to build, um, you know, the fluency in the squad because I think there's still just some slight lacking in the final execution. Um, And I think that's, you know, the the final third, that's the hardest part of executing and you need to just kind of play together to, I think, get on the same page. So I'm I'm a, a little bit reluctant to see a lot of like wholesale changes. I think maybe for the League Cup, you might see more wholesale changes, but for the actual Champions League, I think it's at max three players on the outfield. Like we might see, you know, uh, a Raya come in, but to me, like I don't really count that necessarily as a, a change. I'm, yeah. I'm more focused on the outfield players. Not dramatic anyway. I, I think, I think that you're probably right. And I've, I've kind of become more um, in tune with this whole concept of like, like some players being a change that comes in a pair. So yeah, maybe maybe Zinchenko. I mean, we don't have Thomas Party to be the inverted right back, so maybe that won't happen this time around. But uh, you know, like the idea that Zinchenko and Gabriel were a pairing, and if 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 uh, no if there's no Zinchenko because Thomas Party's at right back, then Gabriel might not even start at all. I you know I I guess I wouldn't be shocked to see like the guys who are just outside the eleven getting in. Maybe you pull Martinelli and let Trossard play. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. he even plays at nine, but I would. I would probably expect most of the starters for sure, especially in the early going until Arsenal, you know, Touchwood are a few points up on the group. Yeah. Having, having PSV in the first game, I think is a good, a good way to start. Then I think, I think they're in France after that. Yeah. That'll be in the beginning of October. And then, and then going to Sevilla, I think might be the toughest game on the schedule. That'll be at the end of October. So probably pretty strong through those three games, at least. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it, right? Because like we cannot throw away these games with the you know with you know a rotation because that would absolutely derail you know the the thought behind like why did we get back in the Champions League just to rotate to yeah. throw it away? Um, it's the same thing with you know I think it's a, a Premier League too, right? There's a two massive high leverage matches I think coming up. So the you know obviously the North London Derby is always going to be something that everybody has circled on their calendars for Sims. They're important, but then at the very end of this run is the Manchester city match. And I think that's the one that everybody's going to be targeting as the one where we really need to be able to kind of get, you know, a marker down to be able to do it. I I look at this and think, 
nine points is kind of like the the minimum expectation i think for the four matches that we have um you know you maybe you can drop points somewhere along the way but nine points is kind of my my minimum uh for it being good enough that's in the premier league between now and the next break yeah for the, yeah so exactly. that's that's manchester city home at bournemouth mirth london derby and then at goodison park this weekend Everton. yep yeah yeah, I mean, you know what? After the Community Shield, I think I think kind of on balance, if you look at the Community Shield, you'd say, well, technically, did Arsenal really deserve to win? <laughs> Maybe that would have ended up more of a draw in the regular season. So, yeah, I think a draw would have been you know perfectly fair in that yeah. match, which which what it ended at under you know regular time, which right. I think was you know on balance probably fairish. Right. So I think you, you know, I th- I think you could hope for. Uh, I think let me put let me put it this way. I think it's more reasonable to expect Arsenal maybe to be able to take some points off of City in this game just based off of like the status of the squads and the, the schedule and everything so yeah I mean I'm I'm definitely hoping for you know getting close to 10 if not if not the full 12 I mean I'm always hoping for the full 12 but yeah. I would definitely be pushing for you know minimum of like seven or eight yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's less than seven, uh, something probably went really wrong. Um, I think I, when I looked at it, it was about it was just under eight expected points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's you can't get eight expected points from this. Well, I guess you could. Right. You could get two wins and two draws. Yeah. You could. Um, from there. So you could get eight points here. But I think that, you know, eight points would be great. Nine points is kind of like uh, really where I'd like to be, um, even if that's, you know, three wins and a, and a loss along the way. Preferably not. That a loss should get us. Yeah. But I mean, although if we we, we come back and you know do it with a, a city win, I think we'll we'll feel a lot better about the the four runs. That's true. Or the four, although that would definitely make Spurs fans feel uh, very optimistic about their team, which is already kind of uh, growing out of proportion. I think to the the early results. I would like to snuff that out as soon as possible. So if they if they haven't gotten there already by the by the time that game kicks off, I would love for that to be the day that the title challenge takes a major hit. So we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. I think they've, they've just got Sheffield this weekend, so that's not too demanding. No, the, the hype train is probably going to bounce back up, you know, further being able to, to see them, you know, go up against a, a relatively easy uh, match. Yeah. They haven't for, looked good. You know, this one Sheffield United has not looked good. So <laughs> no, they have not been. Has any of the you know the the teams have been promoted? Um, they've all looked pretty bad. Has that yeah. surprised you at all? To be honest, no. I actually I've been a little bit disappointed with uh, Burnley. I thought they would look a little bit better, but they've only had they only have three matches played. Yeah, um, just yeah. like Luton because they had the. Uh, I think that would have changed maybe some of the opinions if they had gotten they're a result of, there. I mean, they're kind of an interesting one because I think they were riding a lot of like love for Vincent Company, love for like this progressive style of like. You know, we're not going to come into the Premier League and park the bus type of uh, mm-hmm. ball they had. I mean, I think that they had an attractive window on paper. I certainly rated it well. But I think, you know, like a good example of somebody who's come up and played more expansive football and been pretty successful would be Fulham in recent memory. And Fulham, to me, was had had more like leadership and experience in that side. You know, you get guys like Tim Ream. Uh, Burned Leno is your keeper and Burnley has kind of gone like the complete opposite direction where James yeah, Trapper totally is the keeper and yeah. both of their defenders are in like their early twenties. And most, of, I mean, most of their team is just very young. So 
if it's going to happen at all, it's going to take a while, but I, I think I picked them to be like 16th or 17th. So it's not a huge surprise for me. Yeah. So I, I pulled this morning, the, the schedule or the strength of schedule adjusted metrics and all three promoted teams are at that bottom left corner in the bad stuff. Sheffield by far the worst than Luton and then Burnley uh, right there with Everton and Fulham in that same group. So I don't know for this weekend. What's uh, what's the lineup you're picking? Yeah, I'm, I think I think I would go unchanged from from Manchester United. Okay, so even with Eddie up top, oh, wait, starting? I forgot about Eddie. I think I would go unchanged with that one change being putting Jesus back in. You know, I think I think there's been some stuff going around that he's loved a game versus Everton in his career. So I would try to ride mm-hmm. that. He missed both of his both of our fixtures against them last season. Yep. You know, I think the I feel like the most common idea, so to speak, that I've seen is to throw Fabio in for Havertz. Mm-hmm. I've seen that too. Or, I've seen uh, the other one that I've seen uh, fairly common is uh, Tomiyasu coming in for Zinchenko, uh, going with almost the the four center back look. I, yeah, and I've also I've seen that one, and I've also seen um, Jorginho being the one to come in for Havertz and playing Rice mm-hmm. and Odegaard ahead of him. I guess I would I guess I would just stick with Havertz though. Um, you know, not only just for for kind of like continuity and continuing to build the relationships as we go into the Premier League or the Champions League uh, later in the week, but I think that the thing about Everton that really killed us at Goodison Park last season was I feel like we couldn't like couldn't really play over or around that giant uh, athletic midfield. Yeah, where they suck like five guys in the middle and really clogged things up. And I think, yeah, and I think that having the combination, especially if Havertz and Jesus together, might give us kind of like, you know, ironically facing Sean Dyche might give you kind of like a route one way to get get through that. So, you know, I think I think he's just he's going to be so much more robust in winning the ball back when we do lose it. It's been probably his best quality other than I mean, the mm-hmm. creative passing it's you can't you can't deny that it's been good. It's the numbers are all there. So I think, I think this might be a good game for him specifically where you look at like Fabio or ESR and you say, they may just be a little too on the lightweight side. Of to me, it feels like a perfect like opportunity for either of them to maybe come on, you know, at that, you know, 70 minute mark that we've been kind of coming in. Like, I think that, has worked well with them, you know, a little bit more of the tired legs. Mm-hmm. We've moved around the deep block a bunch and, you know, hopefully it's with a lead that they come on and they're able to, to help kind of uh, see us out. Yeah. And I mean, just don't, don't concede early. Yeah. I would, I would love, you know, they, they did successfully not concede early against United. I would love now for the next step to be don't concede first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then yeah we'll don't don't let the first shot on road. target go in. Yeah. I would love to, I think if Arsenal can score first, it would be really huge um, for this game. I, you know, I think that Beto has looked pretty good since, since coming into Everton and he could, he could potentially cause some trouble if you, if they are a lot, or if they're able to like set him loose in some space running against Saliba and Gabriel. But, you know, I think, DCL Calvert Lewin being kind of more of a question mark. Uh, they have some- yeah. So there was 
the report the Sun Dice was saying you were talking about before we started recording, right? So he was he was a little coy with uh, his availability, yeah. but it looks like at a minimum off the bench, potentially able to start. Yeah, it seems like it seems like you know while he didn't say it like directly, he kind of pulled an Arteta style. It's you know he said he's been he's managed to keep his fitness up, so he'll be coming back into the fold. So I think I think that means he's probably coming off the bench. Um, obviously, Deli Alley is not around, but I think the other the other significant one could be Michael Keane. He's not going to be ready for this game, and Jack Harrison won't be either. So, you know, I think in some of the other previous games, they've gone with a little bit more of a of a green look on the wings. I think Lewis Dobbins started one game. I'm not sure that I had heard of him coming into this season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels like it feels like they're really going to try to do the same thing and just really clog the middle. So, what do you t- uh, like? What do you mean, or like? Uh- how how have you interpreted the the Everton performances so far? Because it's a kind of a little bit of a, a Jekyll and Hyde so far, right? So they're they're yeah. in 18th place, one point, minus six goal difference. So like everything is pointing at least on that side towards a bad team. Bad. But then you kind of look at some of the underlying numbers and they jump up quite a bit, um, excluding penalties. They're at ninth in XG difference at an even game state, and this one surprised me quite a bit. They're fifth best. When this, the game is eleven versus eleven and the score is tied, like I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of small sample size stuff here with four matches, relatively easy schedule. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess how worried are you about the the performances not matching the actual results here, and you know maybe things uh, come back to bite Arsenal. Well, that was that was kind of one thing that I was gonna bring up was the schedule. Mm-hmm. So especially especially on the output side, like attacking. A lot of their, a lot of their output has come through two games, the beginning, Fulham, which they just got like completely footballed to lose that game yeah. because, yeah, I'm just looking at at football ref, um, two point seven and one point five in terms of xg. Mm-hmm. If you look at that game, I think statistically it's like one of the most, one of the highest performing like goals say, goals prevented performances we've ever seen yeah. from Bernd Leno. Like he just stood on his head for that game and they lost one 0 you know, Sheffield United, they did the same thing. This was their fourth game. They doubled them on XG. Sheffield only had 1.2 XG, but, you know, again, uh, it's kind of a smash and grab and it's, and it's a draw. And, yeah, and it took, a, a, the was it the, it was the Pickford own goal that was pretty ugly there for them to be able to, to get that second goal. Yes. You know, I'm looking here too, like some of the stuff. So like the, the Wolves match too, like they, they get out early in the first half and like, they just cannot convert their chances. It's the same story with uh, the Fulham match where they had over two expected goals in the first half and just could not convert anything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Everton, or, you know, sorry, Fulham get one chance kind of at the very end and like they, they put it away to win that game one nothing like it's a, a very well i mean and they absolutely just got dominated by aston villa so hopefully that's the the same way yeah. that this match goes yeah they got they got just really beat up by aston villa and and it was pretty similar against wolves is more similar to like the fulham game i felt like where where they had some chances that yeah i'm gonna shots 15 to 11 7 to 2 on target but jose saw makes seven saves mm-hmm. so you know it feels like maybe that's something arsenal could take advantage of is the the lack of clinic, the lack of what clinicality. clinicality at the at the top of the the formation there. But I mean, you know, Wolves for all the really positive like vibes that they had after their performance against Manchester United. You know, I'm not sure that they have really been matching that in the rest of the games. I I, I remember tweeting during the second game of the season that now I feel better about picking Wolves to like get. <laughs> 
relegated because they really scared me uh, in the first game. But I mean, they got really, I mean, it was actually relatively even on like expected metrics against Brighton, but they lost four to one. They, they, yeah, you know, ever, they basically played Everton even they lost to crystal palace who we've seen already. And I wasn't very impressed by, you know, they've been without Michael Olize, everything else. So it's, it's one of those ones where it's really hard to know who the real Everton are right now. I probably lean. Yeah, and I know we, we touched on this earlier, right? But so on my metrics, they have uh, played the easiest schedule. So they um, by far not been challenged yeah. thus far. But they have played their best games at home. Mm-hmm. So that obviously works against Arsenal here. And obviously the it's kind of kind of like one of the bigger boogeyman uh, fixtures that the club has had the past few seasons. So yes, it's six years without a win at Goodison Park. And these have not been six, especially good years in the history of Everton either. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's a little it, yeah. deflating. Uh, I would love, I would love to exercise some demons in this one. I think, uh, just getting through the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes without giving anything up on the counter without any stupid mistakes at the back and hopefully some sustained pressure, uh, even if they don't necessarily score, but just sustaining some pressure on on Pickford on the opposing goal, I think would just go a really long way to kind of like chasing away some of those ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I went and I, I looked this up too. Like over the the last five matches, uh, it hasn't really been like unlucky for Arsenal. Like maybe it's a, a little bit slightly unlucky that there wasn't you know more draws or something else in there. But um, I, I think uh, Everton has mostly outplayed Arsenal um, at Goodison Park. Yeah, combined score of six to two with uh, the XG six point four to four point three. So it's a uh, a little bit weird. It, it's certainly possible that you know weird things happen um when you just have a a, a small sample size like this but this has been uh one of the the weaker teams so i was looking at this also so since mikel arteta took over uh everton uh the total 1.3 points per match uh is the the fourth lowest of any teams um that we've played so far so yeah the number one is obviously manchester city where we have zero points per match liverpool at one and then third is uh, Burnley, another bogey team at 1.2 points per match. Hopefully we can change uh, both Everton and Burnley this season to get us back onto <laughs> a, get, a better yeah. trajectory. If we can't, I mean, the, the performance at the Emirates against Everton was great. I think that was 4-0 mm-hmm. um, and it was a, it was not an even game. But yeah, I mean, sample size is whatever. Like having watched those games at Goodison Park the past few seasons. Yeah, I mean, they just haven't, they haven't like played up like it's they've sleepwalked through a lot of them. I remember, uh, I think, I think the, was it the season that I feel like it was the season where the changes came like at Neil Smith row losing at Everton was like one of the last straws. Yeah. Th- yeah. I think, I think that was like right after that too. Is like, that's where, uh, was that where, uh, Aubameyang got dropped kind of after the, the Everton game or it was right after. Cause it was like, that happened like right at like December time yeah. when things were starting to get uh, real bleak with Arsenal. So is that was the, was it the, that was the, the, the gray winner at the end where he just like put one in the top corner. If I'm remembering right. Damari gray. Was that the, who put right. it in the, yeah. the top corner? The 2021 yeah. matchup. We lost two one. It was pretty even on XG. Where's the, I want to actually see the match report. I think you're right about that. And then the season before that was pre like going to the project youth. Yeah. Damari gray, 80 plus two or 90 plus two Richarlison yep. 80th minute. <laughs> so yeah, it was miserable. I think Odegaard might've scored from a free kick if I remember correctly. 
in the first yeah, half. Just looking at that one, yeah, the, the first half, Arsenal had two shots in that match. This is the, the December 6th, 2021. It was just a, an atrocious attacking day from Arsenal. So I think that I think that the good news is that Arsenal have come a long way since some of those performances. The bad news is, you know, last season, this was largely kind of the team that we see now, and that game was was pretty ugly. I mean, we didn't even mm-hmm. get a full goal expected in that match. So, you know, I think, I think weirdly Arteta's got like something to prove here against, against his former club. Like uh, this is not, this is not Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp that he's managing against either. This, this was Sean Dyche for one, one away game. And I think like Frank Lampard for at least one. No, I don't think we did. Did we get a Frank Lampard? Oh, we, uh, not on the away games. I don't know if we did get a Frank Lampard. Uh, I'm going to have to go check. Who preceded Frank Lampard? Was it was it a was it a, a Rafa Benitez match that it we might had? Have been. Yeah, and then there was the the Ancelotti uh, Everton. I think we had uh, for I one. Forgot of the games. that he managed them for a season. Wow, right? Like right that that is totally like uh, out of uh, character for where they're at now. Like they yeah. were like because yeah, Ancelotti and Arteta like came on you know at the, the similar times. And yeah, the very divergent uh, sense the those kind of things have happened. Remember, they used to have Hamas Rodriguez playing for Everton. Like, how crazy is that to like think now? Uh, yeah, they've 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 fallen a, a long way. Speaking of yeah, international football not quite translating to club. Yeah, well, I think I think it's not going to be. I don't think this is going to be the game where we get the free flowing football that um, a lot of fans are really looking for. Um, but it's I'd like to see a lot of control though, right? Because yeah. I think that's one of the the things that has been good for Arsenal. And I think I'd really like to see us just like strangle the match and not be uh susceptible to the counter. Well, I think I think you know, I feel pretty pretty secure in saying that we've made a one very big change that can really help us cope with midfields like this Decoure, Onana, and Adrissa Gay midfield, which mm-hmm. is to bring in Declan Rice. So Absolutely. That's going to be a really huge deal because he's he's historically just been so much less like affected by adverse conditions like this. He's just I mean, that's the great thing about being big and strong and fast is that you're big and strong and fast in every situation. So, uh, you know, last season we had party in midfield and we had Odegaard and Jacka with him and still that just couldn't really cope with like the physicality and the pace of that midfield. So. I think having having uh, having Declan in will be a big deal, and hopefully the hopefully the size of Havertz, because I do expect, you know, his name is going to be on that team sheet at uh, an hour mm-hmm. before kickoff. So I don't know. It's 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 a unique it's a unique test to face, but I, I feel better. It's about kind it of now. a throwback to the the old Premier League where you used to have more of these kind of matches, but it feels like that's something that a lot of the Premier League has moved away from mm-hmm. as the the money has. Uh, trickled in um, and down the league. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting yeah, kind of change of pace for teams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and hopefully, you know, I mean, we all know what Sean Dyche loves to do to Arsenal players, just like kick the living hell out of them. So hopefully uh, no injury concerns to come out of this game from, <laughs> because I know that um, some fans would, could not t- handle that right now. So. No, I think we'd all go into uh overdrive of worry if we had another injury um especially with the the matches coming up yeah well i mean the good news is that on wednesday the game against psg will be almost polar opposite uh particularly with no ibrahim sangare on that side anymore they're they're much more expansive um you know they'll it'll be it'll probably be more of like a wide open game 
or at least they'll try, I think, to make it wide open. And I would expect, you know, to be able to control that as well. So hopefully we'll have a couple games with field tilt, like 60, 70% or more, Absolutely. a bunch of shots and hopefully no dumb mistakes. And then you get two wins. Yep. No, I think that'd be perfect. So the the last little bit of news that's kind of uh, percolating in the the Arsenal ether is a potential contract extension from the captain, Martin Odegaard. Um, I know Arteta was uh, coy about that in his press conference today, not giving anything away, which obviously I don't think he can with anything there. But how excited are you on a scale of one to 10 for a potential Martin Odegaard extension? On 10. I, you know, give him, give him what Bukayo Saka got and... I think there's no problem with that at all. <clears throat> there seems to be every indication that, you know, ownership and management are willing to like uh, allow for organic wage growth. And, you know, there's very little argument against the concept of Odegaard getting paid more than he does now. I, you know, you could, I'm sure whatever, whatever he'll sign will be reported as 300 K, even if it's like base <laughs> 180 with bonuses, you know, for winning the champions league and blah, blah, blah. I'm um, just like Saka, but, you know, at the end of the day, like these contracts, if they're performing really well, then they get more money and who cares? Like mm-hmm. then we're happy. Then we we're making money as a club. So I, I think it's just been such a, such a huge deal that not only, you know, in a matter of like three years, has this squad been completely rebuilt with a new core and no, not every transfer has worked, but the ones that have hit, once Odegaard and White sign, which also sounds very positive, they will have like signed and then extended every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't tell you historically like if that's necessarily rare or not, but it does feel significant that nobody has pushed on for, you know, a bigger club or a greener pastures or something like that. The only real exceptions we've had to that are players who are basically already being forced out of the squad anyway because they've mm-hmm. been upgraded on. So I think that's just a really good kind of piece of like real world feedback about the project, about the manager, um, about Adu and everyone who everyone else who's going to interact with the players and really sell the project. So feels really good. It just seems like a lot no, of I think news there. Yeah, and I think it's a, a good sign for where the players feel like the trajectory of the club is going. Mm-hmm. Because this is, you know, type of the the age and the profile of, you know, you think about someone like Martin Odegaard, he's not like a, an academy player. So like, I think there's a, a little less expectation that he might give a, a hometown discount for something like that. I mean, especially with what we've seen with some of our players who came in at a similar age or at this point of their career, where, you know, maybe they have their their sights set on, you know, moving to that next one. Maybe there's a little bit of the benefit of he's already been to like a, a Real Madrid mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. And he's, he's found, I think, a, a good home here. But you think about, you know, the age of a player when you want to be making that big commitment. I think he's like right in that perfect spot. So he's uh, 24. He'll be 25 in December. Mm-hmm. And like that's the the perfect age for I think you want to kind of, you know, give him that five year contract kind of a thing and like really kind of lock him up through the end of his uh, peak. And, you know, even when you get to the end of it, you know, if you, you know, uh, you can potentially sell or do something there or, you know, make sure that I, I actually, I'd, I'd probably be very happy to just see that contract go all the way to the end. And I think everybody would be, you know, very, very happy with a, a Martin Odegaard uh, type deal that goes like that. I would, I mean, I, that's, we'll probably get to a point where these guys are 28 and 29 and people are saying we should be selling, but um, you know, you can keep guy you can keep certain players like that around and just kind of allow them to kind of jack uh, their way out of, 
of uh, the club or out of the lineup, basically. Yeah, no, it's just uh, I think it's I think it's been especially impressive because Arsenal have been for the last few years, for lack of a better term, a little bit more of a banter club than Mm -hmm. uh, than we would like. And I think I think I don't think that there's a single exception to the young core. So I would consider that Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, probably Saliba, Gabrielle, Ben White, Ramsdale. I think maybe Ramsdale is the only the only the only one of them who has not been like realistically or, or credibly. I think you can throw rice now into that mix. Now, like the the new rice addition that we're adding to that foundation. And the only reason I didn't is because he only joined in the summer, but, but they've all been, what I was, what I was saying is they've all been like credibly linked to like a really big club at some point. Odegaard with PSG, Gabrielle with PSG and Juventus Saka. Everybody's worried about city grabbing him. They're watching him allegedly Liverpool and Martinelli. So, you know, no shortage of interest in those players and, and they haven't, uh, you know, Saliba, PSG, nobody's head has been turned. So I think that's just mm-hmm. super encouraging, especially for the ones where there was actually maybe some, some like, uh, you know, real, maybe some real doubt about whether they would sign that new contract like Saliba. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's something that we haven't gotten to experience very much lately, <laughs> just like the champions league. So. No, I think it's a, a very positive uh, note to kind of uh, wrap things up with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to get back into the swing of things. Hopefully we have some some better things to discuss after a nice big win um, away at Goodison Park to uh, knock off that hoodoo that we have going there. I would love that. Yeah, we'll we'll come back for our next one after that and after PSG, PSV. Sorry. So we will have uh, hopefully two good performances, two wins. Would love uh, a, a Havertz goal and assist or something like that. Um, something that is a little bit more tangible than some of the, the advanced analytics, because I know that <laughs> discussion is just not going to stop until he scores or at least makes a nice assist. Like something like that has got to happen for some of these people to really start to appreciate what's happening there uh, and not be pushing so hard to move on. So exactly. Yeah. Hopefully uh, build some momentum for the the Derby uh, next, uh, next week. Yeah. So we got Sunday, uh, big match against Everton, and then yeah, the, after that, the the big North London derby to to go through. Win them all. All right, all right. Didn't do any housekeeping in the middle, so I'll I'll do it here at the end. Um, you know this this show is supported by our much appreciated premium subscribers. Um, if you do want to uh, look into doing that, you get at least five additional articles per month. You'll have some additional premium podcasts to be able to listen to as well. Um, And you'll also have our our everlasting gratitude to support all the things that we do. Um, If you, you know, can't or won't, um, you know, a a like and subscribe is always welcome to be able to do that. You can follow us all on social medias at Canon Stats. Yeah. So, Adam, uh, hopefully we have a a nice big weekend uh, with a win. Let's hope so. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I love I I just love watching the games it's you know we talked about this on uh on the gooners versus cancer podcast like uh, the podcast marathon whether whether it's less enjoyable i know a lot of people asked whether it's less enjoyable (laughs) to watch games um because we our heads are so much in like the the data clouds so much but you know in in the moment like i'm just enjoying it i'm especially when we're playing well uh, i guess maybe sometimes i'm not enjoying it but let's hope for just like a fun i just want an early lead and like something we can enjoy for 85 minutes. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll let go of that. 
Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you on the next one. Cheers, y'all.